Hello and welcome to the History Film Club. I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and historical consultant to film and television. I'm Alex von Tunzelman, historian and screenwriter. So Alex, I'm really excited today um, to introduce a potential new member to our club, Rebecca Redeal, who's a historian who's known to lots of us because she's the author of this brilliant book, 1666, about plague, war and hellfire. So all the kind of dark stuff that happens in the 17th century in this one year. Um, She's also a podcaster herself and has this history podcast called Killing Time, which looks at some of the darker moments of history. And also, she's a former television documentary producer, so she knows all about um, what it's like to be behind the scenes of kind of factual television. So I think she's going to be perfect, and I'm really excited to show her around our club today. Remember, we do have a very, very rigorous membership test for new applicants. They do have to pass a, a rigorous test to prove that they really love film and history. Uh, and television. Uh, and historical podcasts. And history. (laughs) And history. (laughs) Again. (laughs) So, Rebecca, welcome. Welcome to the History Film Club. Hello. I really, really, really want to be a member. Please, please. Good, good. good. (laughs) Well, you know, we don't give our badge to just anyone. Um, Okay. So so hopefully, I'm sure it'll go fine. So, Rebecca, um, we want to talk today with you about a subject that I know is close to your heart, working class representation in historical drama. Now, this kind of doesn't have the best reputation does it no it doesn't and i feel like you know being the the gritty northerner on the podcast a bit of a cliche talking about it in the first place (laughs) but um, that's not why we've asked you to (laughs) it was my suggestion it was my suggestion just so people know (laughs) um Don't worry, we're all about the stereotypes in period dramas. <laughs> of course, of course. But it's it's what annoys me about um, the representation of working class people in period drama is the way that it's always, it always follows certain types of tropes. Um, and even films that we love and films that, you know, and actors that we love, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's brilliant. But oh my goodness, in Mary Poppins too. You know, he's the cheerful working class oik who's um, there to kind of be a bit of rough, I suppose, to the more middle class um, actors that are on uh, in the film. But it goes it goes far beyond that. So you have representations in things like, um, you know, all of the uh, Charles Dickens adaptations, unsavory figures like Fagin, Bill Sykes. Um, so, yeah, it's I do find it a little bit irritating, um, to say the least. And it goes back a long way, doesn't it? As you say, it's sort of through Dickens and, and back to Shakespeare, really, um, who, you know, sort of had these kind of stereotypes that you can see in things like Macbeth or Midsummer Night's Dream of kind of working class people as sort of drunken louts and comic relief while the aristocrats have the drama. Yeah, it do, it does go it does go all the way back. Um it it doesn't and I suppose it doesn't as well, because obviously we're we're talking about film and the kind of the stereotypes that started to evolve in the mid 20th century were almost in a weird way tied in with the kind of kitchen sink dramas that came out as well I think and um, which obviously weren't historical films and stuff but it's it, it's all it's all of that combined so I mean more recent things that I've been watching Little Women which was I, I really like the adaptation of Little Women but again when you have the working class people involved it's always there to kind of signal the virtue of the leading characters who are almost always middle class same thing happens in emma all of the adaptations of emma um 
And then I was also watching the other, the other evening, Death Comes to Pemberley, and they do exactly the same trope with that as well. There's a working class kind of impoverished family and you have the heroine going to show how, how wonderful and um, earnest and good natured she is by helping them out. Um, so it's, it's all of this combined. Um, and then you also get the idea of working classes being this kind of horde as well, when, whenever you have representations of um, protests they're always together they're always looking angry always men um, and they're always northern <laughs> um, so yeah I mean there's there's so much I dislike about it and there's so many there's a couple of people that are particularly bad when it comes to representing working class people but consistently do it um not mentioning any names <clears throat> Julian Fellows but yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Downton Abbey does always seem to have something in the episode where, you know, uh, the below stairs, someone tugs their forelock and says, you know, oh, well, when you think about it, they're just better than us. <laughs> you know, about the I people. know. Yeah. But it's this deference, like the deference was a real thing. You you did have this deference to um, to your, in inverted commas, betters. And but I think that's a really interesting area to explore and I think but it's the problem with Downton Abbey which I might come on to later in the second part of the podcast but the problem mm. with Downton Abbey is that <laughs> it's 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 kind of it's we don't get an idea of it being looked at in a kind of cynical or ironic or in inquiring way it's just presented like respect your betters and that's that's that and yeah even the most radical characters in Downton Abbey the um Irish um, character that joins as the chauffeur, he ends up being one of them, and it's just mind-boggling. Um, but anyway, yeah, he yes. only becomes happy because he becomes sort of semi-aristocratic himself, doesn't he? And they accept him because he becomes just like them. It's a very um, odd kind of plot, I think. But with, I mean, the Downton Abbey, there was that moment though where they had an opportunity to do something that, for me, was like a bit more real. In that they had um, when it was the the maid below stairs, and she had this terrible experience um, where she was raped by another servant who was visiting but actually if they'd made that an employer you know um using her in that way it would have been much much more representative of actually what domestic mm. maids lives were like and that it still caused so much controversy people were so unhappy that she'd had this terrible experience I was like well what do you think actually happens to most of these women um you know who are, who are domestic maids so they just really missed an opportunity there I think to do something a bit a bit more nuanced I think you're so right and even I mean you'll know this Hannah from the 18th century that was a trope in itself I mean the the kind of the wronged woman the wronged servant or um, maid it was a literary trope but we've almost and it was rooted in historical fact as well I mean there's so many cases in the old Bailey online and <clears throat> excuse me there's so many cases um of these things happening women trying to hide the children that they were pregnant with by their masters and things but it's almost like we've we've forgotten that it's it's inconvenient to talk about that now we'd rather just have the you know these awful things happening between people of the same class and yeah it's interesting though isn't it because i mean people who watch downton abbey for instance a huge fan base i mean it's really popular it's very popular in the us as well not everyone watching is aristocrats i mean the people watching are themselves often probably working class middle class whatever um but yet this is a fantasy that they buy into isn't it why do you think that is I'm not sure whether it's a fantasy that people buy into um well no it clearly is because people are watching it but I, I don't think people are watching it thinking that this is real it's escapism and what it also is at its heart Downton Abbey is a soap opera and we love soap operas we love having stories that follow 
over a period of episodes. We love having multiple stories kind of woven into into one another. Um, and I think that's part of the appeal. It's it's easy viewing. Um, and I think it's it's almost addictive as well. And it's it's got the, the I mean, the bell at the beginning of the show, it's almost as um, iconic as the dun 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 at the end of EastEnders. You just, you know, you know what you're watching when it comes on because it's it's become a cultural thing. But I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here, maybe I'm I'm being naive, but I'm not sure that people truly think that Downton Abbey was fully um, representative. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> let's, let's clear a little bit away from that, just in case we um, <laughs> yeah. upset people who think it is real. But I mean, I was trying to think of, you know, when you said you wanted to talk a bit about this, I was trying to think of, um, <clears throat> you know, a hero or heroine in a kind of period drama who was working class. And I realised you're absolutely right. It's really hard to think of, kind of standout characters who represent you know non-elite people doing something what? interesting and successful it was just kind of it's a real gap isn't it I mean there's Peaky Blinders is kind of pretty obvious historical drama with working class characters but on the other hand they do make it good pretty quickly no but my, my thing with Pe Peaky Blinders as well is yes it's it's fantastic and it's the it, visually it's great and stories are great and all of that but again it's kind of falling into these tropes of them being of the working class as being on the edge of on the edge of the law all the time and doing things that are a little bit underhand and of course you know you get that in everyday life but that's it seems to be part of the part of the tropes as well of the working class as being thieves if they're men or whores if they're women and almost you know larger than life characters and it's um it's inter i don't know I, f I find it really interesting um and it is hard to pick out a single character that represents life as a, a working class person and um, without it being about them supporting the middle classes or the the upper classes i, th mm. I think because even in my beloved poldark i have to try and get poldark into everything when i talk about history and television you know that we have demelza who's this working class character really in heroine she's a heroine and in the adaptation she sorts everything out but again you're right she you know her storyline is that she marries above her station and then so she comes good it's that kind of sense of the only way in which you can live happily ever after is if you you know move up through the social hierarchy although it's true that a lot of money does help you live a lot better doesn't it so, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's all right <laughs> well that's the thing isn't it I mean this is another trope that we see kind of again and again in film and tv and I, I find it most memorable in Titanic where effectively the message of the film early on is that it's pretty awful being rich and absolutely much more fun being poor <laughs> you see them you know <laughs> below decks having a good old knees up while everyone upstairs is all very stiff and you know still and yeah actually... they have much better parties yeah, but I mean, is is that a bit kind of false as well, really? And that, you know, I mean, that's sort of the posh people saying, I mean, you know, this is no fun for me, really, having all this money, you know? Yeah, it is. And you do get these representations of, of people being in pubs all the time. They're always drinking, but you very rarely see the kind of mass drug abuse that was going on with the middle classes and upper classes <laughs> as well, with laudanum in the 19th century. I mean, if we're going to be fair and representative, surely that should be part of the um, the story as well. But you are, you're absolutely right. They're, f they're funny, supporting characters, and they're always, you know, half drunk and um, on the edge of being a horde and... <laughs> asking for better pay but yeah the other thing that I was I was going to say really really briefly was that I think part of the problem is the people that make 
television and film in the first place and the um, actors and the creators that we tend to that tend to be ignored so I find it fascinating and again this isn't historical drama but I do find it fascinating when it comes to programs like Coronation Street and EastEnders which are kind of nurseries for working class talent in this country that it's very rare that you see any of those actors push through and get into the more in inverted commas highbrow dramas and um, I was watching the luminaries recently with Himesh Patel who's the lead character in that and it's it struck it was it was almost um surprising to see somebody from you know that had previously been in EastEnders take one of these roles and I think you could kind of list on your hand um the number of actors that have managed to push through from from these soap opera backgrounds into historical drama and other things there's very few of them yeah I mean I think there's still really considerable barriers in this country to you know to making it in the creative arts if you don't have a private income or you know mm. some sort of hefty support behind you it's much more difficult and you know I think that's something that we're going to see going forward is going to be even more difficult obviously you know we're recording this in the time of a pandemic when theatres are really facing serious problems I mean you know how do we get people to push through when there just isn't funding and there aren't jobs you know at entry level for people yeah and then you lose those stories i mean i'm not saying that everybody from a working class background has to make a working class drama that's of course ridiculous um but there are certain things that you will lose by not being holistic in your approach to the arts and i suppose it's also where do you get those stories from because the published work from historians is often very middle class in its in its focus and the records and can you think of like big stories which you think should be told which are just completely missed all the time again and again that would work for this kind of working class narrative i'm just trying to think of like we've had peterloo and moments of riot and things like that but again that's the kind of trope of everyone rebelling in some way yeah we focus on we focus on the big moments when it comes to the working classes we can't just tell their stories which is and also i must must flag that the, even the term working class is is tricky because it, the further back in time you go it's, it's not entirely appropriate for those that you would you know those people that were working and relied on a living working that isn't the correct term, but I think we kind of know what, what we're talking about. But um, yeah, it, I, I feel like there are lots of stories. Um, there's one that's really close to my heart at the moment, actually, and I'm writing something about it. And it's about one of the first major um, bare knuckle boxing champions who just so happened to be a woman, not a man. And it's in the early 18th century. And you wouldn't know it. I mean, from <laughs> you would never have realized that women were boxing i mean we were we were banned from doing it for so long and it was only i think the 2012 olympics that um female boxing was permitted again but you know stories like that about um pastimes and you know interesting things and julian fellows did a drama recently about the emergence of football he was absolutely the wrong person to do it um, and it <laughs> fell it fell into so many tropes again but that's an interesting story you know th th those types of things we we are lacking um, I think. So we do need really historians to work as well on this, as well as filmmakers, don't we? I mean, obviously, you know, subaltern studies and there's been a, a move towards doing much more history of the sort of people that have been left out of past narratives. I mean, this is a very established historical field, but it is picking up on those stories that filmmakers will go for, because I think filmmakers really struggle with something that doesn't have a sort of story of redemption or kind of a big dramatic moment, you know, sort of an ordinary working class life. They just don't connect to a lot of the time. They want something that kind of is very striking um, 
you know, involves class movement or some huge event like Peterloo. Otherwise, what are people going for? Because, you know, Anne Boleyn is a brand. People will go and see her just because they know about her. Yeah, and fi I mean, there's an element of risk, isn't there? And finances come into it. You have to, you go with tried and tested models and topics and that kind of thing. But, and I can I can see where the problems will lie um, in the future with this because we're in a precarious situation anyway. So it's, it's going to be difficult and tricky, but I would love to see more working class um, history on our screens. And I suspect it will come from TV. And I think it will probably come from places like Netflix in the future. That's really interesting. Thank you very much, Rebecca, for this rundown of uh, working class representation in historical film, which frankly needs some work. <laughs> but but to bring you around to, um, so for the club membership, we will ask you to nominate uh, one history uh, film or TV production to add to the club library, something that you think actually does this well. Um, what would you like to nominate? Okay, so really, in hindsight, I should have I should have chosen something that focused on working class history, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Oops. You don't have to. That's okay. No, anything. Else, um, anything's fine. No, this is up to you. Um, but I'm going to have to choose, and I really hope, and I really hope it's not been taken already. But I'm going to have to choose the Americans, um, which is a spy thriller. TV series that was that set during the um, during the Cold War, and it's just the best television. I love it so much, and it's everything I love about historical drama. It has music that's authentic to the period. It's got ridiculously amazing storylines. It's got heart, um, and the lead actors. Well, all of the actors are just just absolutely brilliant it's one of my favorite favorite tv series and i might watch it again <laughs> <laughs> i love the americans and i will definitely do some screenings of that and that's when i kind of confess one of my embarrassing moments because it's matthew reese isn't it who's the lead one of the lead characters and um yeah and i watched the americans and then i did actually work on death comes to pembley and i met him and I was like, oh, my God, you're not American. Like, you're at your Welsh. It's like one of those stupid, stupid moments where you're so sucked into a drama that you forget that actually they're, they're not who they seem. And it's also a very recent historical drama, isn't it, in terms of when it's set? I mean, it's kind of 1980s and, you know, uh, and in the US. So it's sort of for a lot of people, it's, you know, this is sort of a current trend to do a sort of recent history. It doesn't, it's not kind of corsets or armor it's not going back you know hundreds of years and do you think that makes it more relatable i think there's definitely a nostalgia there um which is you know nostalgia is always problematic um but there is something at the moment i feel about the 1980s which seems to be enticing people it seems to be you find it more and more in drama so obviously in um, strange things which to me is a historical drama as much as it is sci-fi yeah. um yeah. but also you know the new wonder woman film is set in the 1980s for example and i think it's it's everything about that world, music, um, it's just amazing. Uh, but also the fashions and, and all of that. It's, um, yeah, it's, it, I, I think it's something that people are looking back to with nostalgic eyes, but I think the Americans, even though it might be rooted in that nostalgia, is actually really um, authentic. And it feels, it feels like they've made, they've really made an effort to make these stories feel true. Um, and I just, I just love it. I, I just think it's so good. My favourite character, and I won't give too much away, is this um, woman called Martha who gets kind of um, 
wrapped up in the events of the um of the cold the cold war in ways that you just she would never have expected as a child growing up and she's just a brilliant creation well we'll certainly add that to the library i think it sounds wonderful yes. thank you very much so the other thing we also ask members to do is to suggest something that we should probably ban um from our club headquarters like a film or a hate or anything really is there anything that really drives you mad that would have you shouting at the screen in our screening room yeah, so this is a this is going to be an act of self harm because I do like it and I do watch it and I do find it gripping, but I also know it's bad for me, um, and it's going to be Downton Abbey. I'm oh, afraid. Oh, oh Downton. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, the guiltiest of pleasures. Yes. <laughs> Well, you know, fair enough. I'm afraid we will have to ban Downton Abbey from the club on that basis. Um. um so the so the other the other area that um really gets on my nerves um is the way that accents are used and i can understand it because it's an easy way to kind of um you know break up and define different classes in society but i think it's important to remember that the accent that we associate with the upper classes is a is a really recent development received pronunciation having um this kind of tough um way of of um of communicating it's something that was born out of the private school system that was created or escalated i suppose in the late 18th century so when you're doing historical drama that goes even further back than that even the most aristocratic of people would not have spoken in the way that we would think if we were basing our um, history purely on historical drama um so that's another area i think that we we should perhaps keep in mind when we're looking at differences between working classes and middle and upper classes too yeah it's quite nice in game of thrones isn't it because the starks sound northern you know yes <laughs> they're, yes. they're kings but they have very strong northern accents i think that was because of sean bean originally being cast no, do you know what i think i think it was on graham norton i can't remember which one of the stark kids was being interviewed and he said that sean bean refused to change his accent so the whole family had to be northern <laughs> 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 I, I think, I mean, you know, Hannah, if you're happy, I've got to say, I think we should uh, welcome Rebecca Radil to the History Film Club with open arms. I think definitely. I think it'd be fabulous to see you at the club, Rebecca. Yes. See you at the bar. We'll, we'll buy you a sherry. Or, or what would you like? What was, what was a, a good A pint. I'm a, I'm a northern. I want a pint. Let's <laughs> have a pint. Yes, absolutely. Good solid pint. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca. We really enjoyed the History of Film Club with you today. And uh, thank you all for listening. And see you next episode. You've been listening to the History Film Club with Alex von Tunzelman, Hannah Gregg and Rebecca Riddiel. It was produced by Nat Tapley for Gloaming Productions. Turning the super on a tweet outside the window. Oh my god. This isn't good. <laughs> I know. This is the cruelty to children and animals podcast. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>